0: Not maybe you don't, maybe you don't. If you're the month before deciding, now's my time to go all in on training, cutting out certain foods, improve body composition, that is honestly a combination recipe for absolute disaster. Wow.
1: What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. It is damn near Christmas, and you are procrastinating. Yes, you. Me too. I know how it goes. But we have a big sale going, some items up to 50% off, and if you want it delivered to your door in time to put it under that special somebody's Christmas tree... Or your own because gifting yourself is always a good thing to do then you're gonna have to get in there ASAP and get your order in or we just won't have time to get it there our ebook training plans are also on sale which happens less than once a year and are delivered instantly so if you're that person in the mall on Christmas Eve we got you all right Today's guest is Caitlin Holmes, who you've heard on the Average Climber podcast, where she is a co-host, on the fellow Plug Tone podcast, The Struggle Climbing Show, where she was one of the expert analysts from season one, and right here on our recent first annual Average Climber board meeting. Caitlin and I got together to talk about body composition, a subject that's often cast in this polarizing light anywhere you see it on the social media interwebs, which frankly has become my least favorite source of information so far down the list actually that I can't even call it information anymore. Maybe disinformation like last week's guest, Stephen Jeffrey called it is the more appropriate term. Anyway, Caitlin is a certified nutrition specialist with a master's in human nutrition and functional medicine and is also a climber. So she understands not only the needs of the sport, but also the insecurities and misunderstandings that come along with it. Let's get into it. Is time to build. Before we even really get started into this conversation, I want to... Clarify here that a lot of what we're talking about is sort of performance related. You know, we aren't saying that you can't be a climber if you don't don't have a certain body type or a a certain body composition. You can be a climber without giving a single damn about how hard you climb. Absolutely. That's not what we're saying.
0: Absolutely. But
1: (laughs) if you're considering what you can do to improve your performance, then this conversation may help clarify things. It might give you some direction,
0: absolutely. And I feel like it's important to note too that body composition maybe isn't appropriate for everybody, like you said, totally. Chris. but it's I think we're hopefully going to talk about just maybe some more of the the nuance with body composition so
1: well i'm I'm leaning on you heavily <laughs> for this because i I'm coming into this. Without a lot of knowledge of um, what's healthy, what isn't, what we should be considering, what we shouldn't, um, simply because it's that's not been my experience. Um, mm. You know, I I have not tried to regulate my weight in order to climb better. It's just oh. not a thing I've been concerned about ever. I mean, I've you know, I like I'm going to eat more. Spinach for the next three months. <laughs> gonna pop know? by it. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna continue eating my gummy bears and all of the other things, but I'll eat a little more vegetables, and yeah. I'll lose three or four pounds, and I send, and I'm right back to normal. You know that that's sort of been my experience. So I don't know a ton about this. Uh, I think it's a a topic that can get really contentious. Yep. Um, and can be uh you know, a sort of flashpoint for some folks. Mm-hmm. So I want to be careful of that. Um,
0: right. I mean, it's but, heavily polarizing, really. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're either all the way on one side where it's like, no, you know, no body composition, or I guess when people hear the word body comp, they think weight loss. That's the automatic mm-hmm. thing that sure I used to feel like, you know, when you hear that. That phrasing, oh, weight loss, absolutely. And I feel like that topic in and of itself is really, really polarizing because you have people who are on one side of that who are saying, okay, weight loss is is good. It's helpful for performance. And then you have people who are on the complete opposite side of the spectrum saying, like, absolutely not, you know, that's that's not the strategy. And I think that. Before you really understand if, you know, something's going to work for you, you kind of have to understand even what body composition just is at at the baseline beyond weight loss.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I think especially when we're getting all of our information on the internet Mm. more and more (laughs) toward like getting our information via Instagram reels where right. <laughs> you, you learn everything about a subject in 60 seconds. Go! You know, that, that right. seems to be the way everyone is taking in information these days. Mm-hmm. And that leads to this like polarizing yeah. uh, way of learning, which, which you were just alluding to. Can you tell us what body composition is? Like, what is it we should be considering thinking about when we say or hear body composition.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So body composition is basically well, I'll say this, it's it's really not about restriction and it's not exclusively about weight loss. So when we are talking about what body composition actually is, we're talking about our lean body mass or our muscle or fat mass or adipose tissue. We're talking about our skeletal structure and maybe water as well. So it's not just about the, you know, the fat mass that you have on your body, which is a critical part of our health and wellness. And for athletes, I think that we tend to think more about the side of, okay, well, how can I improve my body comp? How can I lose fat? When in actuality, body composition might be more about, increasing muscle mass and either fat will stay the same. Maybe it'll decrease or maybe it'll increase. So a lot of people might actually gain weight when trying to improve body composition. It's, it's really hard to just flat out say, okay, body comp improvements, weight loss, because that's really not what's happening for a lot of athletes out there. And I think when people get into body composition, if they start to gain weight, they're like, oh my God, what am I doing? And that's when you start potentially restricting calories, restricting different foods. And then you kind of go down this maybe slippery slope of what I would definitely not recommend for body composition gets a bit tricky.
1: (laughs) Totally. Uh, And, you know, like you're saying, and I think this, this is what you're saying is that we have to kind of look at the whole pie here. Um, Yeah it's not like oh we're just talking body fat percentage when we say right. body composition we're looking at the entire thing and the ratio of what makes it up uh, you know what this thing is the whole picture
0: absolutely and i mean weight is so not a helpful metric <laughs> it's just it's yeah. it's hard to talk about because i think you know if people start training and some people may lose weight during a performance season just by nature of increasing their energy output even if they're, you know, if their calories stay the same or if they go up. But I think so much of what when we get into a training season, what we might sometimes fear is actually gaining weight when really, you know, if you're training, you're building adaptations. Don't you want to build muscle and maybe that that comes with some weight retention from or water retention from just uh, you know the inflammation in your muscles. I mean, that's I think that gets lost in the maybe the sixty second Instagram real thing.
1: <laughs> totally. I mean, strength and power, whether we like it or not, are related to muscle size. Mm. You know, it's it's not a one to one relation. It's not like you know, for every centimeter I put on my bicep, I'm going to get this much stronger. Um, <laughs> right. But they are related. Uh, mm-hmm. So, an increase in lean body mass will likely enable us to generate more force in a specific period of time, um, making us potentially better athletes. Now, that's not saying, um, you know, I, I did not say there decreasing body fat percentage mm-hmm. along with increasing that lean body mass, like you said, might mean our body fat percentage goes up a little or, you know, our body composition is going to change, but that doesn't mean reduced body fat necessarily.
0: Absolutely. And what's interesting too about, you know, if we're using weight as our metric, there's so many things that go into play there that could be affecting why we have body weight fluctuations. You know, it doesn't necessarily indicate fat mass gain either. It could be, Hormone fluctuations. It could be maybe you had a really salty meal the day before. Maybe Mm. you had a couple beers or a couple alcoholic drinks. Maybe you're recovering from training, or you haven't had a bowel movement for the day, or you know the time of day that you're weighing yourself. So I just, it's amazing to to hear. You know, when I work with people, they'll say, "Oh, I'm I'm actually gaining weight. I'm a bit confused." And we go, "Okay, well." what are some things that are are changing what could be happening it is weight gain that detrimental to your performance that even if you're improving your power and your strength you're you're still scared to put on that weight i think it it really is something that we we fear
1: yeah you know uh, as a as a coach who is you know we use a lot of metrics in our coaching and one of the things we've had to be really careful of is that athletes will tend to latch onto the metrics. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're easy to measure. You know, yeah. I can stand on a scale and get my weight and then I have this right. objective measurement of me right now. Yep. You know, that's how it feels to a lot of folks. Sure. And those metrics are just not necessarily an indicator of your performance. The the formula is much more complicated than that. Um, there, there is no formula, you know, essentially.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And
1: we lose track of the one metric that for a lot of people makes, is the defining metric, which is are you performing better or not? Mm. And, and oftentimes we'll latch onto that metric and take that metric to its extreme and maybe it helped your performance here and there but then you don't know the other side of it. If you, if you didn't pay attention to that metric or if you took that metric in the other direction, could that still help your performance? You don't really know because right. the metric you're focused on is this how strong are my fingers or, um, you know, what's my body fat percentage or what's my weight? Um, mm-hmm. And those aren't the metrics that necessarily matter.
0: Yeah, I think we get so caught up in it too. And it, it's it's – talked about so or it's emphasized so much in at least the the community that I'm around and the community that I've I've climbed around for most of my my time as a climber and even just this past weekend I was out at a crag here in Santa Fe and I overheard a conversation between two climbers and they were just saying oh well now that i'm emphasizing nutrition and i'm really focusing up i'm actually climbing worse and i'm more injured and i'm like well maybe you aren't eating enough now maybe your idea of paying attention is just restricting or cutting out really important nutrients and that's causing your injury so i think we just we have this assumption of what either others have done and then we want to emulate it or maybe it's just you know, we we think we know. Okay, well, if I cut some body fat while I'm training, which, by the way, is like the worst time you could ever cut body <laughs> fat ever. <laughs> it's just it's not going to be a performance enhancer. It's going to be an inhibitor. Just bottom line.
1: Yeah, I, I do think people and and I just you know I just misspoke essentially as well, and I think people. End up in this trap that I just got myself into, where I said, You know, you're paying attention to this body weight metric, and maybe it helps your performance here and there. What I should have said is, Maybe your performance goes up. You don't know if your weight (laughs) had anything to do with it. Yeah. You're just making this assumption, you're tying it to that. Just like this person you're overhearing at the crag is saying, Oh, now I'm. Paying attention to nutrition, the, the like black or white model of it that I learned yeah. on this Instagram reel. <laughs> and yeah. now, my performance is declining, you know
0: Right Yeah, it's like what this came is all first? Experiment
1: right. So yeah. if, if your experiment is not going the way you wanted to, change your experiment a little bit. Maybe learn some more things about nutrition and see if that helps. Right. This like one-time experiment of I tried the thing it didn't work it's done that's it you know yep. that, that's not the way it goes
0: yeah it's like you kind of have to continue evolving with it meet yourself where you are today you know if say for example i had a client who was at the, you know they were preparing for a big competition and they were also trying to specifically fine tune their nutrition for their training we were experimenting with I mean they were they were doing a lot of things not only climbing at an elite level but they were also training for Muay Thai and mm. they just were like you know I'm I'm bon- burning both ends of the candle and I don't ever have enough energy in either sport and we were trying to experiment with some, a couple nutrition things and they were just like oh you know what it's you know something's just not working it's like I I think my you know my training for some reason isn't dialed in or maybe i should work on body fat losses and i'm like no i think you're just doing too much your nutrition maybe the experiment we were doing just isn't the right balance maybe we need to make some changes so that's i think people get so stuck in that okay this is the one thing i'm going to do and that's it when in reality it probably fluctuates and it probably each season is going to be different too you know why why would it be the same every single year and not have a new challenge. I mean, your life is constantly changing. It's not so linear.
1: <laughs> totally. You just brought up something I hadn't really thought much about before, but um, you know, I hear clients come to me all the time that are like, "I've got a trip in 3 weeks, you know. Oh, I'm ready to train. How, how <laughs> like, do I no, no. prepare?" And I'm like, "Uh, too late, sorry."
0: Yeah, you know. uh, hop in a time machine, go back three months, <laughs> then let's <Yeah>. talk.
1: <laughs> yes. And, and I think you know that must be the, the method that a lot of people default to with nutrition as well. I'm certainly guilty in the very rare occurrence that I'm paying attention to what I'm eating um, beyond it just being a lifestyle mm-hmm. habit for me. Um, it's like, okay, I want to send in two weeks. Eat more salads, you know. <laughs> <Right>. um, <clears throat> and, yep. and that's not necessarily the the best method because mm-hmm. here I am trying to send a thing and I, now I'm restricting my calories. Right. I think it's better to experiment, weigh out, mm-hmm. learn what works for you so that in the moment – You know, in the two weeks leading up to the performance, you can stop experimenting and go straight to what you know works.
0: Absolutely. And even if we're talking about body composition here, if you are, you know, say, okay, season in the red is gearing up for a lot of people. If you're the month before, two weeks before, deciding, okay, now's my time to focus up and you go all in on training, start cutting out certain foods. Maybe you're, you're trying to dial in so you can improve body composition. That is honestly a combination recipe for absolute disaster. (laughs) And then you get into the season. If you feel like you're not performing well, or maybe, you know, worst case you get injured and you're like, Oh, I, you know, I suck. It's my personal issue. It becomes this like moral problem where you're like something you did is so horribly wrong and and you're a bad climber when in actuality it's just the beta around what you chose to do beforehand maybe wasn't the way to do it. So I agree, you know, going back months before your specific season starts, you know, thinking about the goals that you might have and understanding, okay, well, what do I actually want to do? What's my training going to look like? What's my life going to look like? Both personally, maybe professionally. And how can I, how can I make adjustments now and experiment for what that time might become? So it's, it's kind of like what you said, Chris, you know, not cutting out your favorite foods. Like I'm not cutting out donuts before season. I'm increasing them. (laughs) Like (laughs) very important. This is the content
1: we all need
0: (laughs) more donuts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah it's just bizarre to me that, I mean, I understand why, why we do what we do. We're so passionate about our sport. We want to go all in, but I think people get it wrong. where they are like, okay, time to suffer. I'm going to suffer fest type two fun for my nutrition. Like why, why do you have to suffer right. to succeed? I mean, it's not always like that.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, Weight loss isn't going to be a performance enhancer for everybody. Right. For some folks, it might be. Sure. Um, but it can inhibit your performance. It can make things worse. We've, we've seen that happen with a lot of athletes um, across the board, not just climbers. Right. And the way to know that is to experiment a little well ahead of the performance time. You know, Olympic athletes aren't showing up at the Olympics and being like, "Let's try some new diet fads." (laughs) You know,
0: definitely not. (laughs) Yeah, I think. Well, to give to kind of add on to your experimentation thought, there, I the way that I like to look at this is if you want to track fluctuations, something that I've started doing because I have a history of an eating disorder, disordered eating, and that's something that i've had to process when i started climbing it sort of reactivated itself i'm from the ballet world so it just it you know it different different sport but very similar conversations about body weight and something that i've discovered works really well for me and some of my clients as well who have a similar experience as i do if it's comfortable for you and if you feel like you're interested to look at weight from maybe an approach that's less tied to the aesthetic or a performance uh you know enhancer or you know whatever the i guess ideal body weight stuff like if we throw that out the window and we look at it more from an analytical point of view if if you want to track these fluctuations The way that I like to do this is to weigh myself the same time of day every day for a week only and then keep this as a log too and understand, okay, I trained this day or I had maybe a really salty meal or maybe I had a couple drinks or maybe, you know, my – maybe I had a, I don't know, really good bowel movement, for example, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I'll track that every single day, keep it as a log and – it helps me bring some awareness to how much the weight fluctuates. And I mean, I've I've seen fluctuations all the way up to eight pounds in a couple yeah. days. And then it, mm-hmm. it goes back down. But that could be a really good way too to just see and understand, okay, my weight does fluctuate. And it I think it could be something that if if you're curious and you want to understand. That how that changes. Maybe that's a first step to seeing. Okay, do I want to make some body weight changes at some point? But maybe this is a good way to bring some some nuance to it because there's really no benefit to daily weighing, and I just think that creates a lot of stress around body weight as as well.
1: Totally. I mean, you know, if if I'm in a town where there's a Chipotle, then I can I can fluctuate five pounds in thirty minutes.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> a burrito the size of a baby definitely is gonna <laughs> just sit there. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I've considered multiple times throughout my like climbing and blogging and podcasting career um, of like tracking my weight and taking like Daily photos of how my body is changing throughout changing or not changing throughout uh, a training cycle um, or, you know, as I'm getting older or whatever. And I Mm -hmm. just don't have the discipline to do that. um,
0: (laughs) Plus, you don't care, right? It's like.
1: Yeah. To constantly weigh myself and to take those photos. So what will happen is, you know, like the first three days I'll weigh myself at the same time. And then the next day i'll forget and i'll weigh myself at a different time of day and it's a <laughs> wild difference and i'm like yeah. okay fuck it never mind
0: <laughs> never mind not helpful well <laughs> it is interesting i mean it's for a lot of people i think just tying so much worth to something that is so arbitrary as body weight and it's it's not to say that if you've tried weight loss or if that's something that's worked well for you that that's not valid it's not saying that it's just saying i think we heavily emphasize it to a, a fault where like i'll i'll give myself as an example when i first started climbing i essentially broke my ankle really early on in that that time frame and i started training really heavily and i cut a lot of weight just because i wasn't you know lifting heavy leg workouts anymore and i just ended up dropping weight by nature of that and when i came back to climbing i was crushing it i mean mm. just i i flew up 3 grades in bouldering and i was like oh it's because i lost weight never mind my you know heavy hangboarding routine right
1: right that
0: was something I had never done and then started doing, that was probably most of it. But because I had that weight loss, I, for the next two or three years, used that as a heavy emphasis. And at some point I plateaued so dramatically and I I was back down three grades. I couldn't put on muscle. I felt tired. I wasn't even having fun. And it wasn't until I started to put on weight again heal my relationship to food. That was something I had to do. I I hadn't ever really worked on that before, but I finally sought out additional help. I, you know, I was also in grad school for nutrition. So that kind of helped, I think, give me some healing, so to speak, and some additional recovery. But I put on quite a bit of weight. I started training again. I really was enjoying climbing again for the first time in a few years after just getting shut down on so many projects. And I I was sending things that I couldn't send at a lower body weight, at this much higher body weight that, you know, it was body fat, muscle. It was a combination of things. But it just goes to show you that even if you lose weight for one project, you're not guaranteed to send all your projects. And that method may not work for you year after year because, again, it's really hard to just say, okay, is it the weight loss or is it something else you were doing? And will that work again? I don't know.
1: Yeah. And it's just not a sustainable thing, No, right? I mean, Mm -mm. eventually your energy is going to your energy availability is going to go down. That's yeah. going to result in you training less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to have fewer good attempts when you're at the crag, and that's going to result in projects taking longer. And <laughs> right. you know, it's it's just going to be this cycle that's really mm-hmm. hard to break out of unless you start looking at what are the the roots here of mm-hmm. what I'm doing. One of which is your caloric intake and you know how your what your relationship is with food.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, we can't can't expect the restriction to be a tool that that works long term. I mean, even in the short term, I've seen it time and time again with my athletes. They maybe if if they have a couple days where they've either accidentally restricted or, you know, if life was just busy and that's how it worked out, or if they if, even if it was intentional you know we're working on that um it, they could see some performance losses if they just go to the gym they don't have that energy output to give it their all they really can't give as many burns on their either outside projects or inside but they feel like even on the hikes to the crags they're you know totally winded and just gassed by the time they even get there and i i do think it it is so important to emphasize too. It's just like, you know, getting the baseline nutrition that you do need and making sure that you, you're hitting that amount of calories that you need to sustain just energy will help prevent both short-term and long-term complications, which really could just, I mean, the long-term restrictions are really unhelpful for performance, but also because you may open yourself up for injury risk. You may Have bone issues, potentially mental health concerns, digestion problems, lots of sleep issues, certainly uh, hormonal disruption as well. You know, amenorrhea for people who menstruate, that could become a big concern too. And it's just there's a lot of things at play there. And over time, it's, there could be more detrimental things to your performance. And overall, it would be a massive performance inhibitor if that's your main goal of, in doing that.
1: Totally. Um, you know, it. I think there's some real danger in the mindset that, that I've been in myself of, oh, I can drop a little weight for this big send. Mm-hmm. Um, because increasingly, more and more people are like, I perform all the time. I can climb year round. I'm mm-hmm. traveling from area to area when the good seasons are hitting. And, right. And it's year round performance now. And that becomes <laughs> year round drop weight, drop weight, drop weight, drop weight. Yeah, just and chronic. Yeah, that can be a really detrimental thing for someone's health. And I think the, the intersection here between performance and health is a really interesting one that I'd love to talk a little about. Because they don't always overlap. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Performance can look very unhealthy sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if you have some level of control over over that, you know, mentally yourself. But I do think there's some overlap there that you were just alluding to that. Mm There's a whole host of problems that if you don't stay relatively close to where that Venn diagram of performance and health overlaps, right. that you could slip away from, and that's going to cause your performance to go down.
0: Absolutely. And sort of an example that comes to mind here that I like to use because I think with athletes, for some reason, there's it's there's a lot of abstractness, but also there's like I'll I'll give an, another example. You know in in mainstream health and wellness conversations if you were to ask someone okay well what what's maybe not great for heart health they'd probably say okay well you know with high blood pressure for example or cholesterol you want to watch your salt intake you want to watch your fat intake and maybe that's red meat as well but those are things that are for the general public not necessarily for athletes and I think we have all of these assumptions that we've heard over the years that we're like right this is the blueprint for health when in actuality it doesn't apply to us because you could truly you could be someone who is really you know lean lower body fat percentage and maybe you really don't eat much every day maybe if you, I don't know, maybe you smoke a bunch of cigarettes or you drink a bunch of alcohol, but you look the part, you probably aren't going to be crushing it too hard. And, and you may actually have a lot of performance inhibitors over time, especially. You would certainly see bone loss, more risk of, uh, I mean, osteoporosis. And that's something I think a lot of younger climbers are like, oh yeah, that's... Maybe not something I'm thinking of right now, but certainly in the short term, you know, within months of just restricting, that could open you up to lots of injury, whether it be to bones or, you know, connective tissues, soft tissues. Um, You could have more strains than normal. You could also just be mentally gassed and go into things a little bit foggy, make silly mistakes or, uh, you know, injure yourself in that way or maybe you're just a bit lightheaded when you're, you're walking to places, maybe that leads you to sillier mistakes too, um, and, and limits your safety, but also maybe, you know, you're not sleeping now. And so then you have that massive performance inhibitor too, and your body doesn't have that time to recover and it starts to tax you mentally and emotionally too. Um, And then, you know, the flip side of that, you could be at a higher body fat percentage. Maybe you're, you know, you're training, but you are, you're building muscle slowly and maybe you're doing really well. And it's, it's like the long game at that point. Right. So it's like, how much are we willing to put into Something emotionally uh, in the short term versus how long do we want to actually climb and enjoy the sport that we do love? It's, you know, it's like, do we go balls to the wall all the time? I don't know if I want to do that anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. No, I mean, <laughs> just I just can't sustain that. There, there are yeah. other things in life I want to do and want to enjoy, and yep, trying to sustain going hard all the time. I mean even just for a season it's it's really taxing. So Right.
0: Yeah, considering
1: kind of- traveling from area to area <laughs> season to season and doing that year round year after year, no fucking way.
0: No way. Well, you see all these like I mean I'm sure you know many crusty climbers from, you know, back in the day, but oh, yeah. they're all broken. like yeah. They all have these and like bitter. Ma- bitter and broken. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be the, the crust formula. <laughs> and I mean, their knuckles are enormous. They're mm-hmm. grouchy all the time. And I think it just really, it goes to show it's, you know, years of just battling through a lot of dicey situations in old school climbing, but also the rhetoric around body weight and performance and just, you know, like suffer, keep suffering and give it your all, no excuses. It's like, well, okay, maybe there's some, sometimes there's a time and a place for that excuse. And I personally would love to be able to climb all day, every day and keep the stoke alive year round. But that's just, that's not who I am. And I think a lot of people feel shame and guilt for also feeling that way. And they're like, well, okay, but I kind of need a break. I'm a little bit tired. And maybe if you start realizing you have that that mindset coming in, take a break. Don't just keep going. Because I feel like that's where injuries really start to appear. And maybe when people take it too far with body weight, maybe they take it too far with body fat because I mean, body fat really is essential. We do need it for so many things. Fat is such an essential part of life. And when we don't have it, it can actually really harm us health-wise, but performance, absolutely.
1: Mm. Are there specific measurements that are better than others um to determine your body composition? You know, I know things yeah. have been floated around for a number <laughs> right. of years. Um BMI was really popular oh, I don't boy. Know, yep. 20 years ago or something maybe yep. even more recently I really have no idea um, but what are the the good measurements and what are the ones we should maybe avoid
0: yeah I well I'll start just because you said BMI I'll start with that it is a garbage way to measure a ideal body weight <laughs> it's just bottom line it's it's not a supportive or representative tool for most of the public. It's, I mean, when BMI came about, it was heavily based on, uh, you know, Eurocentric white bodies, uh, mm. Caucasians, and that's just obviously not helpful or representative of a lot of climbers out there. So, BMI, throw it out the door. Don't even look at it. It's just not helpful. <laughs> and. Yeah. I think, too, it's still predominantly in a lot of the climbing spaces. So um, I I definitely think that if you see a BMI that's higher, oh, I'll give a quick example. The Rock, right? Massive dude, just enormous. His BMI is through the roof. But when you look at him, you're not like, oh, he's obese or overweight. or (sighs) Like, obviously, right? So that's my example there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've seen a few studies with like, you know NFL linebackers right you know, they're like yeah. ridiculously fit they they're super fast they're super powerful they're super yep. strong but their BMI is absurd
0: right right so like why are we still using this like again it comes back to okay athletes there's no nuance in mainstream nutrition for you so you kind of have to pick through like okay yeah that that applies to me or, oh, no, actually that doesn't apply to me. So it it is hard, I think, because we're constantly thrown so many different opinions and evidence and it's like, who's telling it to you? Where is it coming from? What's the research we're using? There's just so much ingrained there that I mean, we could unpack that for a whole other episode.
1: (laughs) Sure. So we just assume that BMI is, let's just say that it now stands for bad measurement inherently.
0: (laughs) I love that. That's what BMI
1: stands for. And (laughs) and we just throw it out the window.
0: Absolutely. Let's ditch it. Uh, But there are are actually three really great ways to measure body fat. And um, I think, you know, we – if you look up, let's say calculations, I'll give a quick example too of maybe one more bad one. Um, my, so in grad school, in my sports nutrition and exercise metabolism class, we were instructed to pick one of the many calculations for body fat percentage and see where we were at. The one that I chose measured my forearm and the number that I got was outrageous and I was like, that can't (laughs) be right. But you think about, okay, climbing forearms, obviously it's different. (laughs) So I do think the calculation. I might look like
1: a sumo wrestler by my (laughs) forearm measurement.
0: (laughs) Right. And it's, it's just so not correct. It's, it's, it's shocking actually. So throw the calculations out the door too. But if you are looking for, let's say there're 3 actually that i i think are great calculations um measurements of body fat percentage i should say and really the the gold standard that is available to some people this is more of a, a based in labs or uh like university settings so it's a bit harder to come by but that's underwater weighing that's going to be the most accurate just because it does measure density but Because people don't really have access to that, the next available tool will be something like a DEXA or InBody. And I've actually seen a few gyms have InBody available. Um, It's usually pretty inexpensive to have both of those uh, run Um, because it's sort of similar to underwater weighing, but a little bit different. But those two would be largely available too. And DEXA scans are actually really helpful for measuring uh, bone density as well. So if you're curious about that or concerned at all, that could be a good tool to measure that. And those I would say are like the next best. And if you're looking for something that's the most inexpensive, uh, that would be skin calipers. And I feel like a lot of people know about that, where you measure different, it's like seven points on the body, mostly in the trunk and on the limbs. Uh, You measure through these little skin basically, but this one is prone to user error. Really, you should only have a trained professional do this um, just because I think there can be a lot of uh, incorrect measurements done there. But really with any of these tools, there's probably some amount of Uh, you know, standard error. There's going to be some inaccuracies there. And I know too, I've had a couple athletes say, okay, I just had a DEXA scan done. This is what it said my body fat was. And we talk about it in terms of like, okay, well, what's your thought? Either good or bad, neutral, you know, what, what would you like to do with this information? And a lot of the times they're surprised that it's, lower than they may have thought. But if it is higher, I, I want to at least share that the word of caution. You know, if it's higher than you expect, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, the next time you go to the gym, you're going to do poorly. It's like, you know, you, you've been doing the things that you've been doing and there's always going to be somewhere that you can make changes. And maybe it's not even body composition. Maybe it's the aspects of holistic health, the foundations of your health and wellness related to body composition, certainly, but maybe it's, it's like the essence of it versus, you know, having that be the root of your quote problem. I don't think that's the case.
1: Mm. I'm curious when, when people are getting these, uh, measurements, whether mm-hmm. it's Dexa scan or uh skin fold thickness or whatever, do you find that they come in with some sort of expectation and then almost immediately feel like they did poorly on this test? Um, (laughs) And I ask this because that's what happened to us when we first started getting measurements of people's, um, you know, like finger strength or pull-up strength Uh. or things like that, is they would get these measurements and their response to me would be, I did really horribly on that. And I'm like, That's what so do you mean? Like, this is just yeah. a measurement. This is just I an assessment. I don't even know what horribly means. <laughs> so how do you, you know?
0: Yeah, like, what's what's your metric of horrible? So you feel like people, when they, I mean, have you ever really heard somebody say, like, oh, I did so great on those assessments? Has that ever really no. been? Oh, no. no. <laughs> That's awful. You're like, it's but, just well, a test. We,
1: we changed our wording entirely, the language that we used around it, because when we called it a test, people thought they failed across the board.
0: Wow, that's um, so interesting.
1: <laughs> since we've called them just measurements and we've avoided yep. the word test, uh, I think it's gotten better. But, yeah. but I'm just curious with people like getting these numbers, is there some reaction to the numbers that, that maybe doesn't match reality?
0: I would say there's there's likely always going to be some unmatched reality, whether it be like, okay, I I had one client who they, you know, they had a, a DEXA scan done and their body fat was quite a bit lower than where they thought they were. And they were just confused afterwards. You know, they were like, okay, well, it's just probably not correct. Like I I need to go back and get it done again because that number is not correct. I was like, well, hold on. (laughs) So if it validated your expectation of being higher body fat, you'd be okay with that versus, you know, it's saying you're a bit lower and you're actually quite a bit closer to your goal than you thought. So in essence, he thought he still failed because he yeah. was close to it. And then I've had other instances too where certainly they get this number back and maybe they've been crushing it in the gym. They've been, you know, they've gone up two V grades or they just sent their outdoor project. They're really doing well. And then just for fun, they go and get a DEXA scan or an in body. And they come back to me and they say, oh, my body fat's actually high, you know. Quote high, and they they decide. Okay, well, I actually want to change it because it's impacting my performance. And mm, and, and then I'm like, yeah. well, no, it's is it though? Because you just told me you sent. And they go, oh, well, yeah, but. And then it's it, it comes becomes this spiral of the runaround of like, okay, well, I'm assuming my weight is it needs to be changed, and I'm sure there's some level of failure there with a test. Like that, um, I, yeah. For whatever reason,
1: yeah, that's that's really interesting. I see the exact same thing with people mm. measuring their like physical characteristics. Right. Um, and I'm, you know, we put out these charts that are like, here's the window of what we expect to see when you're climbing V seven. Um, right. This is how much weight you should be able to hang on a twenty millimeter edge with. You know, mm-hmm. we put out these charts. I'm always really hesitant to put those things out because when people don't fall within that window, they get really nervous and they start right. focusing on that thing. <laughs> is, there, is there a percentage we can point to for athletes that's like, you should be within this window for a healthy mm-hmm. body fat percentage? And, you know, <laughs> is it different for healthy versus performance when you're an athlete? Right. Are there guidelines, I guess?
0: Yeah, there actually are and I'll give I'll give the the range that I think is probably the most healthful, still health promoting for athletes and it is a bit binary so I do apologize for that but for men this could be anywhere from 6 to 24% body fat and again mm, So a big window. Yeah, a huge window and this depends cool. on body type, muscle mass, I mean, you could have mm-hmm. lots of muscle with also, you know, maybe higher body fat percentage. It uh, doesn't mean it's a detriment to you at, in terms of performance. It could also just be your genetics. Maybe you have higher body fat percentage and that goes up with muscle. Super hard to yeah. say.
1: For Are you sure. Dwayne Johnson?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Are you actually a rock in physical form? <laughs> so it, it just, it wildly, It varies. Um, so it's not to say that, you know, six percent you're gonna have the most optimal body fat. Again, it really depends on the type of athlete you are in terms of, you know, what are your goals? Are you an endurance athlete? Are you a are you strength and power based? Are you a combination of those? Uh genetics, certainly, uh body types. There's just so much at play there. And then for women, the range is equally varied, uh, though it's a bit of a tighter window and I'll explain why, but there's, uh, about 14 to 31% body fat is deemed still healthful for women. Um, and especially, uh, it's interesting for women. There's a lot of discussion around performance enhancement, um, especially lower on this body fat percentage range. But what's super, super important to note here is that being closer to 20% body fat or higher is actually going to be reproductively the most healthful. So this is the Mm. range when most individuals are still experiencing menstrual health. You know, they haven't lost a period. They haven't, um, started to lose, uh, you know, that, that cycle. Um, because when it's not to say everybody has this, but when a person who menstruates loses that cycle, that's when it's, sometimes a good indicator that maybe it's gone a bit too far. Um, and that could look different for some people. Maybe that happens at 18% body fat. Maybe that happens at 22% body fat, you know, so still within that range, that's quote healthy, but each individual is going to be very different. And if a cycle is lost, this would be a good time to potentially increase energy intake just because it may uh, show up as lots of bone health issues, um, you know, bone deterioration. It could be mental health concerns as well. It could be, again, the digestion, the sleep. Um, And that, I guess, brings us to, you know, Red S, the female athlete triad, like, you know, some some bigger issues within the athletic community that I know has been talked about more and more. But we really don't want to get too low body fat whoever you are, it, it, again, it could vary, um, what your healthy body fat percentage is, but going too low can dramatically impair health performance, maybe even body composition as well. You know, that certainly I noticed that too. I, when I was too low body weight, I started to notice that my body held on to fat in areas where I was kind of confused about, but I just I don't know. I looked like my muscles were sinewy, if that makes sense. Like it just, mm-hmm. it just wasn't what I was hoping for. So, low body fat also is just again, it can be very subjective. It it doesn't necessarily mean that the lower you are in body fat, the healthier you are. It could actually be the opposite. Just like uh, the higher you are, could be you know healthier for some and not for others. So it does wild are dramatically and very wildly.
1: (laughs) Sure. You know, Paul and I recently, uh, recorded an episode for breaking beta. I Mm -hmm. think it will end up being, uh, episode seven of season two of breaking beta. Uh, it was looking at a 2020 paper about the performance characteristics and the anthropometrics of female climbers specifically.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: in this paper, there was a really interesting comparison that I think should be pointed out far more than it is. Yeah. Um, and that's that they compare their paper in 2020 to a similar 1993 study. Oh. And in the comparison says that the, the level of climbers had risen dramatically such that in the 1993 paper, the level of the elite climbers, and these are competitive Female climbers, Mm -hmm. the level of the elites is equivalent to 2020's recreational, just above recreational. (laughs) Oh
0: my God. And (laughs) wow.
1: (laughs) And at the same time, the body fat percentage reported in 1993 was substantially lower than what we're seeing now in 2020. So the body fat percentage has gone up substantially and the performance has risen dramatically. Yeah. Um and I think that's such an interesting uh thing to look at that uh, that lower body fat percentage was one of the characteristics that they could point to statistically saying this is linked to lower performance.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that uh, well firstly I'm I'm so glad to hear that more research is coming out in this direction because I think people they'll cherry pick a lot of information that they hear or see. I think there's still a lot of the the old school narrative around weight just gets so stuck and gummed up in the works, but yeah, it's when you have athletes who are just destroying the grades and what we thought was possible now and they're they're eating differently, they're higher body fat or even I I mean a lot of the papers I've seen still are talking about BMI, but they're higher BMI now. And I think that that, I mean, why aren't we highlighting that more as, oh, okay, that person actually put on weight and therefore they're climbing harder. You know, why is that not something that we're talking about more versus people seeing, oh, well, that person lost weight to send harder. I'm going to do that. I just... I don't know why we're leaning towards that. I can't wait to listen to that episode, though. That's really exciting.
1: Yeah, and it's been it's been a prevalent conversation in climbing, um, yeah. male and female. You know, for as long as I can remember. Uh, you know, for example, when Chris Sharma was first like coming onto the scene, and he was mm-hmm. this tiny little stick thin kid <laughs> who was just crushing everything. All the old bitter, cl- the people who are old bitter climbers now. We're like, oh, you just wait till he puts some weight on, you know, wait till he uh, hits puberty, all of this. And you know what happened is he put weight on and then he really became Chris Sharma. Like, right. you know, <laughs> he became the best climber in the world when he put mm-hmm. some weight on. Um, and a lot of that was muscle, but that's certainly not all of it, you know? sure, Yeah. Um, so I think we just have to remember that in a strength to ratio strength to weight ratio sport like climbing is i think it's undeniable that that's you know right. that's a consideration strength is part of that ratio and and weight is not the main factor
0: right yeah i mean just kind of like circling back to what you said earlier on if you are wanting to gain strength mm-hmm. there's going to be you know you'll have I don't want to say it's inherent that you'll gain weight, but strength with gaining strength may come additional weight. It just means you're able to pull harder even if that pulling harder means you're pulling additional weight up. It's still probably negligible. So because I've even seen time and time again too where athletes will put on a lot of muscle mass and it I think it's probably rare that when you're putting on muscle mass that you'll never put on body fat. Like I think that's just something that comes with it. And there, again, it depends on the individual so much of the time, but I do think when people start training, they may not expect to see body weight increases. And that's, I mean, really that's what I think your goal may, may be without you realizing it is, it's just seeing those changes. So I even I have the practice of just suggesting that if you know that weight is something that you're concerned about or is somewhat of a trigger for you, even if you know, even if you don't necessarily have a history with disordered eating or body image, you know, body dysmorphia potentially, uh, you know, maybe during training seasons, just ditch the scale. You know, it's not going to help you. Use your performance as its own metric like you said, you know, did you did you do well today? Did you not do well? And I know something that I've talked to Lauren Abernathy about is something you said, Chris, where you'll have some days that are going to be really good, some days that are going to be really bad, some days that are just neutral and there's you know, there's no there's not going to be consistency all the time, but that's why we're training. That's why we need to eat as consistently as we can and get good sleep, you know, and make sure that we're just taking care of our basic needs at that foundational level. And then maybe start considering other support tools.
1: Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm trying to like set up myself to take advantage of the days where I actually do feel good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. so, so I want all those base layers to be optimal if mm-hmm. I can. Um, question that might be a loaded question might be hard to answer. Um, is there any value ever? Is there a time when we should stray below the healthy body fat percentage that is set forth?
0: Yeah, loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll kind of answer this. And if so,
1: yeah, how long can we maintain that? I assume sure. we should not try to maintain that for a long time.
0: Right, right. And I I think I'll say this with a caveat too. It's if if you feel comfortable for shifting either body weight, body composition and it's not going to be a trigger in in the sense of, you know, just creating some some body image concerns or basically just sending you in a into a place that maybe you don't want to go emotionally and mentally. Um, so if it feels safe for you, there are a couple ways that you can try it, but I will say too, I, I certainly don't think that every climber needs to, or should try and improve body composition. I usually take the approach of, you know, take a look at your training, maybe work with a coach or get a plan or something to improve on that front. Maybe you do start thinking about your nutrition and this doesn't mean restricting for the first time or cutting out foods. It just means understanding, am I eating enough? Am I getting enough macronutrients to support my, my goals and my fitness? Maybe you work with a nutritionist, dietitian, uh, You know, someone like me who can help you understand what is enough, what that looks like. Many of the calculations out there suck and again, aren't appropriate for athletes, but also looking at those additional things like stress factors, looking at your sleep and how much you're getting regularly. So kind of taking a holistic look first, understanding if there's any area that you can emphasize, or maybe you look at every single area in there and- try and, and dial that in first. Um, just as like a, you know, this is my, my blanket statement first, like totally, I get it (laughs) (laughs) because I, I don't ever want an athlete to feel like, first of all, okay. Yeah. You have to lose weight to crush harder, but I also don't want people to feel like, oh, I could never do that. And I'm embarrassed to ask for that help because, every athlete's so different, right? Like you said, it's, it's just hard to know which athlete needs what. Uh, and that really depends on what they might actually see that they're, they're needing help in first. So I always try to talk about, okay, well, what's external to weight that you could focus on first? Because Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, it's all four of those things I mentioned. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, but to come back to your question, if you do choose to attempt body composition goals. I, I certainly think avoiding weight loss strategies or even like intensive, uh, let's say, or not even intensive, just restriction. If you decide to employ those strategies during training seasons, during times of injury or recovery or illness, these are your absolute worst times to approach body composition changes because, That'll open you up for more risk of injury, slower recovery. Um, certainly, you won't be getting the most out of your training. You'll likely be slower to gain those adaptations. And again, you know, it's like we, if we're going to be climbing year round or have multiple climbing seasons, we really don't have time for these lull periods where we're we're recovering and we want to do different things. So, I w- I would just say that if you do decide to approach it take a very low and slow approach. So this might mean very small deficits. Um, And just to give you an example, if say, for example, you have someone who wants to lose a couple pounds, I think even a quarter pound a week, maybe half a pound a week is more sustainable than trying to lose one to two pounds a week, especially if you're someone who really is healthy, um, at a healthy body weight. And maybe this is kind of your set point weight and it's more of a struggle to lose that weight. Going the lower and slower approach is going to help you get there in a way that feels more approachable. You don't have that restriction. You don't have this just looming on you like, Oh, I can't eat these foods or I can't do these things. It actually just gives you a, a strategy to slowly be able to integrate that in your off seasons. Maybe if you have two to three months that two to three months or longer, I should say, if you have that opportunity to slowly lean into that, that body change, that is going to be more supportive, long-term, more sustainable, and more realistic to, to make sure that you're not losing, you know, this massive calorie deficit because a lot of people will end up cutting 500 or more calories a day, and that might be 20% of their energy needs. So if you're cutting 20% of your energy needs, you're not going to have that 20% of energy to give to other things. And if you're a busy individual who doesn't climb all day every day, certainly if you're climbing all day, you won't have energy for that. But if you also have work, if you have a family, if you, if you have other things going on in your life outside of climbing, that's 20% less energy for all of that, maybe more energy losses. So it really doesn't make sense to go this big deficit the month before and, you know, put yourself in this position to not, not feel successful or to just, you know, add this level of failure, which again, weight, weight loss is always tied to, I shouldn't say always, but weight loss is tied to morality in a lot of circles and it's like, it's not failure or success. It's just approach it low and slow, take it gradually. Maybe instead of a whole donut, you have a quarter or you have a half a donut, you know, it it doesn't have to be all or nothing. There's a lot of in between.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think across the board, whenever you ask a question and of an expert and that expert has to give, you know, like ten minutes of caveat. Yeah. <laughs> then, then maybe that question just doesn't apply. And,
0: right. <laughs> and maybe you should just
1: be looking elsewhere. You know. Um, <laughs> that's sort of how I feel when people ask me questions about should I do this, and I'm like, well, no. you know what? I'm going to give you caveats for the next twenty minutes. So no.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You it's shouldn't. like maybe this doesn't apply to you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's. Oh, there's just so many caveats too with nutrition. And I think, yeah, it's so hard because there's so much absolutism in nutrition and what works for some doesn't work for others. People cherry pick based on their favorite athletes and what they do. And it's like, God, why are, you know, professional elite athletes are not synonymous with nutritionists or certainly nutrition professionals. And I think a lot of what is out there too, we just you know, if it, if you hear it, you see it and you're like, Hmm, I don't know if that works for me. Use that as your caveat and decide, mm-hmm. okay, maybe I'll apply some of what I just heard, but not all of it. It's really hard to get everything you as an individual need in a 60 second reel. <laughs> <You know>? Sure.
1: <laughs> totally. I'm curious if, um, If you think things are headed in the right direction for climbers, I know we're talking about it more. You know, I know this Mm -hmm. conversation has um, become a topic that people are more and more willing to to go into. But I'm curious if that talk is swaying people um, or or are we just holding steady at the you know, unhealthy levels that we used to, I'm curious because you're far more tapped into this world than I am.
0: So from what I've seen, there's a, I guess a couple, I, it it's, well, I think this discussion is cyclical. I think Mm, we've had this discussion in the past and I think we'll continue to have it again and again. And It has its moments. And I certainly think right now it has a big moment. But do I think it's improving long term? Do I think it's sustainable or, you know, like a lasting discussion? I don't know. I'm not actually sure Mm -hmm. that, you know, in five years, will we still be having the conversation? Will it improve? Or will we just kind of be back to that same place of, you know, okay, body weight, body loss for sending? Because I think a lot of the young generation, I've worked with a lot of uh, younger teen kids and athletes from different gyms, and I get similar questions that I would have expected from adult athletes five years ago where sure. it's like, what can I do to improve my body weight? And I'm like, oh my God, you're 13, nothing, do nothing, continue growing, continue increasing your yeah. body weight, <laughs> please. <growing>. Yeah. And- <laughs> it's, I think it really does start at that level. I think it starts with coaches and certainly parents and guardians, but I think it also starts with the the elite athletes that these kids look up to. And I think it is really good that you have people like Kai Leitner and Emily Harrington talking about their experiences with body weight, and maybe it will improve in five years, but I just, I think it's too soon to tell. And I think we just need we need more people to speak up and share as they feel, feel comfortable, but just starting at maybe that younger level, changing the discussion, even in the the climbing communities. Now we have this massive influx of new climbers all the time. And I mean, my gym now, you saw how small our gym is in Santa Fe, Chris, and Mm -hmm. I don't know a single person in there right now. They're all new. And that's it's amazing to see. And it's, it's really interesting and cool, but you still hear conversations about body weight in the newer, you know, sector of climbers. So maybe it, it even takes more advanced climbers coming in and becoming more aware of that discussion and being like, Hey, actually it's more than that. I've been climbing for 10 years. Of course I'm at this level. You know, it's just, I think it gets, it gets tricky. Certainly there's more research coming out. I know, uh, Dr. Goodman Grunhag has amazing research on the subject of body weight and performance and injuries in climbing. Certainly Marissa Michael also does as well. And I think there are more, more and more people coming out with climbing specific research articles and just discussing, you know, the, how body weight really isn't a metric for success or performance.
1: Yeah, you'll have to come on for a, a guest breaking beta yes. episode at some point, and we can talk about some of that stuff. I'd I do, love to. you know, I do really love that there are people out there talking about it. Um, I can understand why the new climbers end up in that situation. You know, it's right. it's sort of common sense. Like strength yep. to weight ratio is important. I want to get stronger and I want to get lighter. And yep. when you're trying to do both at the same time getting lighter is way easier than getting stronger while you're trying to do both, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, So I, so I think people end up trending toward, I need to keep getting lighter. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get stronger, but it's not working. So I'm just going to keep getting lighter.
0: Right. And maybe,
1: and that's that's not a healthy, sustainable thing. So I'm glad there are people talking about it. I'm glad there's representation out there uh, Mm -hmm. in sports in general. You know, when I was a, a gymnast, this is a, a massive problem in the gymnastics world. Yeah. Um, there was a, a male gymnast named Cheney Umphreys, um, who was yoked, just this giant <laughs> dude. And he was so good. And I loved watching him compete. Yeah. And I was like, I want to look like that dude, you know? Right. And, and I'm like, whoa, I need to eat a whole lot more food to look like that dude. Cause <laughs> I can't get those kind of muscles yeah. unless I do. Um, and, and that's happened with women as well. You know, the, there are the sure. Serena Williamses out there yeah. who who are okay with being muscular and looking big and strong and right and they're performing better because of it. And that's not to say that just because they have muscles there are no issues there, you know.
0: Right. Well the same Some thing. Some of these goes people are
1: being open with their issues and I think that's great too
0: absolutely and i mean i have a lot of clients who will say to me oh you know it's really hard not to compare because the the kids yeah. or the people crushing are you know long lean thinner body types but again you don't know you know we don't know what's going on in their lives we don't know if they have something going on too we don't know what they're eating or not eating we don't know their their training. We don't know how long they've been climbing and we certainly don't know what their genetics are, but I think it's as you have more people coming into the sport, just acknowledging that there are going to be different types of climbers, different body types. And just because one body type maybe was predominant for a long time, doesn't mean that others can't join it. It just means that, okay, now more of us are joining And there is going to be more of a diversity of body types too. It's just, I think, maybe, maybe the the norm, maybe who knows? But it's just well, I I think think if you look
1: around, you'll find those people. Yeah. You know, it may not be the people that your your algorithm is feeding to you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But if you look around, you're gonna find the the people who don't look like you know, the, the whip thin little climber that's super right. long and lean who right. are also climbing at pretty high levels. Um, totally. You don't have to just compare yourself to the absolute best. You can also look at the people who are at the level you want to get to next. And, mm-hmm. and you're going to find a lot of different size and shape and body type of, of people there. I know that you have a, a masterclass available um, that looks at a more yeah. like holistic approach to training and nutrition, uh, lifestyle things. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us kind of the the basics and any little tidbits from that? And then I'll link folks uh, in the show notes that they can go find that masterclass.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool masterclass. I co-hosted this with another certified nutrition specialist um, named Emily Smith. And so we really wanted to, I guess, jumpstart the conversation around body composition. So we did talk about sort of the four, I guess three, and then I'll break it down, the, the three foundations of body composition that will really help you and support you. So number one is training, making sure that you have a high enough load that is appropriately dosed for you and also supports your goals, whether that be something that you DIY, maybe you get a coaching plan uh, that's a uh, self-paced, or maybe you work with a coach, but making sure that you have a strategy to dial in your training and make sure you get the output that you're hoping for. Then Going into nutrition, certainly you want to make sure you're matching your your nutrition uh, with your training. Make sure that it does support your goals. So if you do have the goal of increasing muscle mass, you're going to have to increase your calories. That's just the way it works. And sometimes too, there's a bit more nuance depending on where you are in your season because maybe your nutrition might look like a maintenance calorie dose. Maybe it's a surplus. Maybe it's a bit of a deficit, but you could be in any one of those areas depending on the time of year, your goals, and what you're hoping to get out of that uh, time of year. And then also just making sure that you're eating consistently you know, maintaining your blood sugar, making sure that you're not having these big spikes and dips because that's also going to impact your body composition as well. Making sure you have a diverse diet, lots of micronutrients coming in vary where you can. And, uh, that's, that's sort of the essence of, of what we talked about in nutrition. Uh, and then for the last one, this is lifestyle and this includes both sleep and stress as well. And both of those play into things like blood sugar as well, uh, certainly hormone balance with cortisol and other hormone fluctuations as well, but really making sure that you have a strategy in each of these areas to give you, I guess, direction to improve body composition without really focusing on one aspect. So for example, if your training's dialed, your nutrition supports it, you're getting quality sleep in the right dose, and then you're also managing your stress to the best of your ability. Those four things are going to be really the holistic blueprint for body composition without really needing to make drastic changes. So we do dive into all four of those areas in greater detail uh, in the masterclass, and we give you an ebook too to work through it. So It's jam packed with a lot of information. So you don't feel like you have to rush into a a body composition plan that's geared towards weight loss because ultimately that may not really be what you need right now.
1: Mm, I love it. I, I love looking at it through that, through that like all encompassing lens. I think there are a lot of coaches out there who, um, get really trapped in their area of expertise and Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're, they're able to see only through that lens uh, and really the lens that we should all be trying to look through at least is more interactive with all of the different aspects of our life and how the, you know, those things are all adding up to how we're able to perform when it's time to perform. So. That sounds like a great resource. I will have a link in the show notes for everybody to to go check that out and uh, links as well to be able to find you in all of the places, uh, including the Instagrams and your website and the Average Climber podcast, which you co-host. <laughs> and, I, and I so appreciate what you and Lauren are putting out there and the way that you're doing it. Uh, I'm glad there are more folks doing these things and and you know giving more content to the people that's longer form and not just a 60 second <laughs> black and white thing Real. on instagram
0: uh, yeah well thank you yeah it's been it's been exciting to to hear just you know the people who have questions and maybe they're you know there's do- dozens of climbing podcasts out there now so it's interesting to, to just be able to contribute in another way. So, yeah, we're having fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, it, that shows through for sure. And <laughs> I'm glad yep. you guys are out there doing it. And and thanks for taking the time to chat with me about this. Uh, thank you, know, you. I'm totally a, a Luddite when it comes to talking about <laughs> anything nutrition-oriented. So, thank you.
0: Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And I hope, hope listeners get something out of it and just see that there's some nuance and yeah, I I really appreciate the discussion. It's, it's something that I think I wish more people could talk about from this, you know, the gray area. I feel like the gray area is often just left to the side. So
1: yeah, that's where I live. I live in the gray area.
0: Yes. Gray. Always.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) While Better nutrition and fueling is certainly something that's played a role in my improvement as a climber well into my 40s. Body composition and particularly body image is not something I've ever had to deal with personally. And as such, I appreciate the folks like Caitlin who have the knowledge and experience to talk about it from a place of not only science, but of empathy, compassion, and understanding. I suspect that this is not the last time you'll hear from Caitlin on this podcast. In your show notes, you'll find links to learn more about Caitlin and how you can work directly with her, including her website, as well as a course she just put on sale this week, Body Comp Pro, which is perfect, for climbers who want a better understanding of what really impacts body composition and who are looking to pursue safe and effective changes to their body composition. So if that's you, you can save $90 by clicking that link in your show notes before the 16th of this month. While you're there, you'll also find a link to our big sale that's going on. So get in there, get your Christmas gifts together before it's too damn late. We ship fast, but we aren't miracle workers. Of course, if you're a procrastinator, you can always pick up an ebook or a gift card in the amount of a proven plan and have it delivered instantly. You're welcome. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron, buying a training plan or a course from the Power Company Climbing Academy, or simply by leaving us a review in your podcast app and telling a friend. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Power Company Climbing. But you will never, ever find us on the Twitter machines because we don't tweet, we scream like eagles.